This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Great Brazilian team. Count, it's there. They're ahead. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. It's oh, he's in the post. Theo has to. He's in the post, but it's finally in. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us this evening. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, look, they say that big teams in our sport, they have to learn how to suffer. Well, the U.S. men's national team got a crash course in suffering today, physically, mentally, maybe in some other regions of the body as well. We'll talk about all of that. The U.S. came out of it with a ticket to the round of 16 at the World Cup. Yeah, it was a nervous, nervous ride, even mm. for an Anglico like me. I was nervous for you, Jason. I was watching that game. I wasn't sure that last 30 minutes made for some very uncomfortable viewing, but that's what you live for, right? You live for that drama. You live for that fight. You live for that spirit. And it doesn't matter how you get there. You ended up getting there. And hey, Greg goes on to live another day, right? Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it last night. Greg Berhalter's contract's up at the end of the year. Um, there's been an expectation that he would be the manager through the 2026 World Cup, but if they did not get out of the group stage, that would have been a hard sell. Um, I do think the social media criticism doesn't always equal reality when mm-hmm. it comes to Greg Berhalter, when it comes to Gary Southgate, <laughs> when it comes to anybody in any high-profile situation. I, I think there is a little bit of... Uh, disjointedness there but the U.S. had a job to do they went to the World Cup as the number two seed in the group it was a tough group but the expectation was that they would find their way out of it and they did they got a goal they got on top of this game early they had a great first half they lost their most important player in the goal in that sequence Christian Pulisic literally sacrificed his body to get that goal and then they had to hold on, and, and you can take issue with how they held on and, and how it went down and all of that. All of that can be done after the fact, but it should not take away 
from celebrating what this team did because it is not easy to get out of the group stage in the World Cup. It's not easy to get here. It's not easy to get to this point now. When you get to the knockout round, anything can happen. And now the U.S. has a dance partner in the Netherlands on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. How did they get it done? So you watching it with maybe a little less emotional investment, Jess, what did you think of uh, the U.S. performance today? I thought the first half was another great first half performance from the U.S. men's national team. I thought they dominated possession. I thought they did very well in preventing Iran being able to do what we spoke about them wanting to do. I didn't think that they were able to attack in any shape or form. I thought they were able to win those battles in the midfield to prevent the transition of Iran. And I thought they just looked like a really high quality side. I'm not going to lie. When I saw the lineup um, announced, I was really disappointed that Zimmerman got the drop, particularly because I feel like it's through no fault of his own. I get it. You want a ball playing center back. Perhaps you want to feel like someone that's comfortable with the ball at his feet, but it felt quite harsh in my eyes. And I think if things hadn't gone the way that they'd done, if the US hadn't kept a clean sheet, maybe that would have been a bigger talking point. But again, these things happen for a reason. The goal was great. It was a really fantastic goal, as you've mentioned and alluded to, Pulisic. I thought he'd broken a rib after seeing the replays and obviously the news coming out. It was not a rib. It was a different area that I will not be able to relate to the pain that he was in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it hopefully he'll be okay because that could be a huge, huge loss if he isn't able to recover. I think they've put him down as day to day right now, but his social media is saying that he'll 100% be ready to go. My one thing though, Jason, I think that was frustrating for US fans was they weren't able to put the game to bed. Obviously, there was the very narrow, narrow offside, but there was also really an opportunity close. from where I remember where he went with like a looping header instead of maybe trying to take it down. I thought some of the decision making in the final third made the second half a lot harder for you guys to try and hold on to the result. Yeah, look, it took a while. And this is a young team. Nobody on the pitch for the U.S. had ever been in that situation before. None of them had ever been in a game three of a World Cup with an opportunity to get to the knockout round. Not one player on the pitch for the U.S. had been in that situation. So it took a while. I, I think it took a while. The center back pairing took a little bit. It took Cameron Carter-Vickers a little bit of time to get comfortable. I thought he was tentative early on. I thought he was tentative defensively early in the second half and then kind of got into the flow, into the rhythm, got things sorted out. I think it just took some time, but the the whole sequence for the goal was absolutely beautiful. And it started with the ball at Matt Turner's feet, 10 passes, seven players involved. It started from Turner, ended up in the other goal in 24 seconds. That's the kind of play that the U.S. has been building to. Let's hear from somebody who knows this team really, really well. Brad Gazan, Atlanta United goalkeeper. Here's Brad's thoughts on the first half. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I think at the beginning, um, you know, obviously the, the U.S., you know, they, they knew the circumstances. They knew what had to be done. And so they came out on the front foot straight away and, and they were breaking lines. They were playing forward passes, putting Iran under pressure um, from 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 the get go. And, and when you do that, you not only wear the opposition down, but you start to build confidence within your own group. And and I think we we're literally witnessing the confidence grow from minute after minute after minute in that first half, uh, ultimately until Christian scored the goal. And, and you know, I, I, you know I, I felt as if the goal was coming. And um, sure enough, a, a good diagonal from Weston. And, 
and a, a smart play from for Serginho to, to head it back in. And then obviously Christian puts his body on the line to to you know get there first and, and put it in the back of the net. The final two passes in the sequence, that's something that the U.S. has done multiple times in Greg Berhalter's run in charge of the national team. You you work on patterns of play. You don't want – you can't really. The game doesn't get scripted. It's not you know like a, an American football game where you're running 15 plays that are organized. No. But you do have patterns of play, things that – work for the group that you have and things that you want to look for in games when they present themselves and the ball from McKinney to Dest McKinney got his head up. He sees Dest making the run. It's automatic. You're hitting that pass over the top. You're hitting that diagonal. And then the receiver of it, in this case, Serginio Dest is putting it back across face Mm -hmm. of goal. That's happened so many times for the U S under Burhalter. You have to give him credit for creating that pattern of play and the players executing it. Dest, best first half of the tournament for him. 27 of 28 passing, completed his first 26 passes. The number 26 was the one that he put across to Pulisic. He was also tied with Adams in terms of touches in the first half. The U.S. identified attacking Iran's left side, and they really went for that consistently, and it worked. No, it did. And I think when we go back to the goal, though, what I love is about the area that Des put it in, right? He put it into an area, into a space that he knew Christian Pulisic would be bombing into. They've worked on these moves. It was almost like a set piece, a free kick opportunity where you're knocking it towards the back post. You're heading it into an area rather than to a specific player, because all you want is for someone to gamble, put their body on the line. It's a goalkeeper's nightmare because it's in between that gap of being able to come, but also not being able to come. And you saw he tried to close down the angle, and that's why Pulisic got there ahead of him, and all he could do was take out the on-rushing forward. It's a quality goal, but it doesn't happen without that vision to see the cross-ball switch. It doesn't happen without that knowledge and quick thinking to head it down, because there's players from that angle that may have tried to go for goal, but he knew that wasn't what the game plan was. It was to flick it over, and he trusted that Captain America was going to be there. And you said, Jason, that you would be looking for a big player to stand up. And maybe in my head when you made that, I was thinking it would be like a worldy goal, but this was a worldy goal in its own right, in the right yeah. of the build-up and in the right of the gamble. Not every player is putting their body on the line like that. They're not. They're stepping out. They're a little concerned. They're trying to protect themselves. He wasn't thinking about himself at any part in that moment. He was going to end up in the back of the net and he was going to take the ball with him and he he got it done. And and look, that's what leaders do. He sacrificed his body and he tried to come back. He did get to halftime, which was actually really valuable for the U.S. because it saved you a sub window. Iran was not able to save an extra sub window. Mm -hmm. You get late in a physical game like this one. That's a massive thing. So that's an underlooked aspect of Christian Pulisic in this. He got back on the field and was able to just get to the halftime break in as much pain as he was in. That was so important because the second half was an absolute fight. Here's Brad Gazan on what the second half looked like to him. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think as the second 45 went on, I think you started to see that savviness. You started to um, you, you started to see that gamesmanship. And I, I'm not saying stall tactics and things like that, right. but I'm 
sportsmanship, right? Where, um, you know, they understood the situation. They understood that, hey, when we win the ball in our defensive third, if, if it has to be a direct ball into our nine, into, uh, you know, Josh Sargent, in, into Haji Wright to be able to hold the ball up to allow our midfielders, the, the midfielders on this team are, are phenomenal, right? And, and their ability to, to defend, but then when the ball goes forward to get up and support the attacking players, um, it, it's been unbelievable. And so those direct balls into the striker uh, to be able to, to hold those, hold that up and then bring the, the midfielders back in and slowly work our way up the field, I thought was fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought the entire uh, 90 minutes um, showed different elements that, that we're going to need going forward into the knockout rounds. Brad mentioned the midfield. The uh, technical report from FIFA is, is out on this game. Tyler Adams ran 12.9 kilometers in this game. That's more than eight miles. Yunus Musa ran 12.8 kilometers, so he's right there. And Yunus Musa, he was laboring towards the end of it. There, there was one sequence where it just looked like he didn't have anything left in the tank. He made 83 sprints in this game. You know, it's it's easy to get into all of the, the soccer aspects that were very good in the first half and say, well, where were they in the second half? Well, why wasn't it this? Rah, 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 let's complain about it. They had to fight through that second half because Iran was playing for their World Cup lives. And the fight was there, and it got the job done. And you mentioned Walker Zimmerman. He came on late in this, and he won seemingly about 9,000 headers. Before it was a great sub. I, I was baffled following the Twitter timelines, how many people were begging for an attacking sub at that moment in the game. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I, I, yes, we talk about, oh, the best way to protect a lead in soccer is by scoring another goal. Not when there's 15 minutes left. You don't need another goal in this game. You might get one on the counter, but you need to shore things up defensively. You need to bring on an aerial presence. You need to have someone that's there. And Zimmerman was there with every ball that was launched in in that desperate attack from Iran in the last moments. And to me, without coming across like a snob, that shows a lack of understanding in these big moments in games where the right substitution is to defensively sure things up, Jason. You can't, you can't coach a game by a book. You can't coach a game by a flow chart. You have to feel it. Greg Berhalter has been in these games before. There's times where if, if you really have your finger on the pulse of the match, there's times where you know there's not another goal in it for your team. Mm -hmm. The other team might give you something, but you just you don't have that in you at that point. You could be out of gas. You could be like the U.S. in this situation with Christian Pulisic going to the hospital at that point. You, you could be in a lot of different places. The U.S. had to see it out. They, they looked for the counter. They had opportunities to do better on the counter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but they didn't, but they had to shore up things defensively. That was the number one thing, and they did it. And the fight was there, the quality was there, and ultimately the sacrifice and the suffering got them through it. And now they're getting ready for a round of 16 game on Saturday. You'll be able to hear the whole interview with Brad Kazant, by the way, on the Off the Woodwork podcast folder and on the Odyssey app. That'll be posted uh, as soon as the show is posted when we're done. So be on the lookout for that. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get this stuff in your box when you're ready. Now, look, there is one very important thing that the U.S. has to do to defeat the Netherlands on Saturday. Find out what that is in five minutes when Atlanta Soccer tonight returns on 92.9 The Game. 
and the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Covering the world of soccer live. With Jason Longshore. And it's the man from the back. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Hanging out on a Tuesday after the U.S. defeats Iran and advances to the round of 16 at the World Cup. I'm Jason Longshore, Jessica Charman alongside. And Jess, we got to talk about your team, England. Um, I need to know the right word to use for that first half, though. Is it blah with an A-H? Is it bleh with an E-H? Is it blarg or something completely different? It was not good. I know that much. It was ugly. I think in hindsight, I was a little bit overly negative when I was texting you about the first half. I think I was expecting more because we're going into this one thinking we're going to be, you know, dominating. And we dominated in aspects of the game in terms of the possession, but there still wasn't the same level of opportunity creation in terms of speed, in terms of it felt like not the same oomph that we saw early on in the Iran game. And I'm wondering if that's the issue right now for me as a fan, for the rest of England as fans, is that we're comparing a lot of this to the quick-ish start in terms of first 30 minutes that we had against 
Iran. And it's not necessarily going to be like that in games. I liked some of the squad rotation. I didn't like some of the other squad rotation in terms of Kane still finding himself in this lineup, still not being able to score, by the way. So if the goal was to keep him in these games in order to try and get his goal boots going, then it was a risky, risky business. But I think it was an average first half. It was acceptable. I mean, you keep a clean sheet. You don't allow Wales to do anything. And how often have we seen games going into nil-nil? It really is feeling crazy at this point Mm -hmm. that every game in the world almost feels like it's going in at nil-nil. And I think that perhaps England is falling a little fatally to that tentativeness, not wanting to take the same gamble in terms of increasing the speed of play because after the halftime break, it looked like the England I want to see across the full 90 minutes. So maybe not bleh in the first half, but meh in yeah, the first I half? It, yeah, it's just a, uninspiring to the extent of knowing. I go back to what I talked about. When you have the individual quality you have in this English side, the combination between all of them should be far superior to them what we saw in the first in the first half. In the second half, you started to see why this squad is so highly rated among all pundits because of the quality that you have on the field when it can gel together. Do they have momentum after a much better second 45? Yeah, I think anytime you score three goals unanswered, you have momentum. It could have been a lot more, by the way, a couple of missed opportunities, a couple of good saves from Wales, a couple of good defensive plays. I will say the Welsh didn't give up, which I was proud of from their perspective it can be easy I think a little bit of resentment for the English and wanting to make sure they didn't get completely annihilated played into that one a bit but what I love about the momentum you're getting is you're different the variety of goals you're scoring again you know a direct free kick which by the way came from Rashford this time so we know we've got free kick threats from many players on this pitch you see the second Rashford goal okay a little fortunate goalkeepers unsighted but they're doing different things. Phil Foden gets on the score sheet. So maybe Wayne Rooney had a little statement, but I think that Rashford was the more dangerous of the players out of the two. If if one of them had earned a starting lineup spot in the knockout rounds, I would say it's Rashford over Foden based on that performance, but we can see what Foden can do off of the bench now. And he should be given more time off of the bench. I'm begging again for those proactive subs in closer games rather than reactive subs. Yeah. I mean, Phil Foden is England's Gio Reyna, the the player who is not starting, who is incredibly talented and is a a favorite of the smart fans, a favorite of of a lot of the pundits. And Foden feels like that player. But just like I feel that the player on the bench that I would like to see start for the U.S. is Brendan Aronson. Who did really good. With he his did. half time, I thought. He did. Marcus Rashford is the player who should be the one that everybody's clamoring for with England. He was great today. Mm-hmm. He's a passionate player. You know, I think mm-hmm. he's a really good guy on and off the field. Obviously, a lot of people know what he's done in the English communities in terms of helping kids with the food. You saw also on social media about the fact that he was extra motivated today by the passing of his friend from cancer. He made sure he scored two goals for him. You want players that are motivated, that want to be on that pitch, that want to show with every touch that they take that they belong on the pitch. And I'm surprised it took so long to get him to get more minutes. We saw the impact he had in Iran, scoring with his second touch in the game. I thought he had done enough then to show his value and show what he can do 
and it's another goal with just that he scores in terms of the second goal that he scores, creating a little bit of space for himself in the middle of nowhere with his trickery, with his great footwork. And he's the sort of player that I think defenders would fear in having, and he offers something different to the other players on the pitch. And you want that balanced forward line that we talk so much about in successful teams. Am I being a hot take Sky Sports pundit if I say that Marcus Rashford should be starting over Raheem Sterling? No, I don't think so. I don't. What is Sterling? Unfortunately, I like Sterling, but what you? has he really shown? And let's be honest, was the move to Chelsea the right thing for his career? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, he hasn't been playing good domestically, particularly. He hasn't been that impactful. He's been with a team that's been struggling in a lot of aspects on the pitch anyway. And I think it's hard for that not to roll in to your international game. There's very few players that can be like Harry Maguire, and I bring him up again because he continues to impress me, that can not be playing well or barely playing for their club squad, but still be able to find another level when they play. Am I uh, mistaken in that Harry Maguire went on another mazy dribbling run oh, in the attacking half? He had half? more touches. There was a, he's had more touches in the final third of the box than most players for England. Like, ah, if he can score a goal like that, uh, I think that will be highlight reel for every, uh, forever and will probably overlay my commentary saying how worried I was that England were going to make any sort of run over the top of it because of Harry Maguire being in the squad. So mm -hmm. I, I listen, I think the best pundits are able to say that they misjudged something. And I think that we were looking at evidence in terms of how yeah. he's been playing for Man United. But uh, I think that, again, shows that Southgate as a manager knows how to get the best out of his players and that... You don't get to a Euro um, final, a, a World Cup semi-final without a manager that knows how to get the best out of his players. And I think we saw again a halftime team talk that really had an impact because of the difference that was made in the second half when they came out. And you're going to need that because it's not going to be easy against Senegal. Ah, that's a draw that has me a little bit on tender hooks as well. Yeah, we found out that it is going to be Senegal. They were able to go in. They had to win. Ecuador could get through with the draw, similar to the U.S. and Iran. And in a similar fashion, the team that had to win went out to win. Now, this one was a little more back and forth between Senegal and Ecuador. Ecuador, I think this is the game where they looked inexperienced at this level. This is the game where the youth really didn't shine a uh, player that we talked about last night who I think still has an incredibly bright future in Piero and not a good day for him not a good day for him at all and you you can point to the mistakes that he made and and look at why Ecuador is not advancing but you can't take anything away from what Senegal did here Ismail Asar earns a penalty being brought down by Encapié Ismail Asar is one of the biggest attacking threats in the World Cup and when Sadio Mane went down, Jess, we talked about somebody had to step up and be that kind of a presence for them. They've gotten good performances from a lot of places, but Ismail Asar has stepped up to be as close of a facsimile of Sadio Mane as you're going to find. Yeah, but I also think it's helped that he's prepped with Watford. Let's be honest, with Watford, he's had to do a lot of that dirty work, do a lot of that being a star for the team, doing a lot of that almost like a big fish in a little pond kind of thing and having to have that uh, pressure thrown on him. And he seems to be thriving under that pressure right now on the world stage. I mean, what's crazy to think about, and I know the Senegalese probably don't want to think about it, but just imagine if you had 
the two of them. If you have Mane and Saar, what a combination that could be, how dangerous they could have been. So I think that from an Ecuador perspective, what killed me is, and I was listening to it while I was driving, the fact that they got the goal and then immediately, it just felt like immediately they conceded again. And I think that was the immaturity. That was the level of game management and uh, inexperience showing that they weren't able to handle having a lead uh, or having the goal to tie it up with more maturity, with more smart, with more slowing down the game. Like yeah, we all talk about being vulnerable after we score a goal, right? Because we're thinking about the emotion. We're thinking about celebrating with not really as organized defensively. Well, that's why someone needs to step up, be a leader and just say, hey, ball's got to go. Next five minutes, just go long, just go direct, no playing around, don't give any opportunities. And they weren't able to do that. And honestly, you just saw in the reaction, once they conceded again, I, I never truly believed that Ecuador was going to get back into it because I think we saw the emotion and the heartbreak on those players' faces and they weren't able to respond to that positively in order to get the comeback. Yeah, that's that's the shame of it because Ecuador has been so good in this tournament and one bad day at, at the office where they're in a situation like the U.S. was where you know, you have to go and, and get something done on the last day to advance. And not many of their players had ever been in that kind of a situation before at the national team level. And it showed at times. Um, I think some players for Senegal who have been at that kind of pressure-packed situation at the club level, it showed that they were in a better position to handle it. And Kaladu Koulibaly is a prime example. He's been a rock star for Napoli in the past, now at Chelsea. He gets his first goal for Senegal. It ends up being the winner. But he really shut down Inter Valencia, who is tied for the golden boot lead with three goals. He, he really you know, was able to put him on lock. And Senegal was able to get this done. Um, I mentioned Ismail Assar being one of the biggest attacking threats in the tournament. Leads Senegal with nine shots. He's second in chances created. Only Kylian Mbappe can better Ismail Asar's total of six chance-creating carries. So that's on the dribble, being able to break the game down. That's going to be key against England. And if you get, just like we talked about with Greg Garza, if you can get Ismail Asar running at Luke Shaw on the dribble, that is a big weapon for Senegal and something that England's going to have to be worried about. Yeah, and I'm also worried about drawing fouls, honestly, in terms mm -hmm. of our defenders diving in. Look, we've got some good centre-backs and we we look we look good defensively, but I think at times we overcommit, we dive in, we don't stand our ground as well as we could in moments. And if you have a player running at you with the quality of star, part of you as a defender is thinking, I need to get the ball off of him. He's going to hurt us. But if you overcommit and don't time your challenge correctly, you're giving up set plays, you're giving up dangerous opportunities and we've seen that Senegal can be quite dangerous off of the set pieces and that's not an area that England wants to have to invite them into the game yeah Koulibaly will be a handful on those set pieces England is, is a good set piece team but you don't want to roll the dice in those situations so the winner of group A is the Netherlands no surprise they beat Qatar today Cody Gakpo opened the scoring he did something that hadn't been done since 1986 scoring the opening goal in all three group stage games of a tournament. Alessandro Altobelli of Italy is the last person to do that in 1986. Gakpo has been incredibly scoring goals in a variety of ways. He's got three goals. He's got one with his head. He's got one with his left foot. He's got one with his right foot. 
Um, he is at the top of the golden boot charts with Inter Valencia, with Kylian Mbappe. The Netherlands has never had a golden boot winner at a tournament. I think it's easy to say if you're the U.S. and you're looking at the Netherlands and you're scouting and you're figuring out how you're going to deal with them, trying to find a way to stop Cody Gakpo is near the top of the list. Yeah, of course it is. But preventing him getting service is going to be even bigger in that. And I think we've seen the U.S. dominating in the midfield. It's one of their best best aspects. It is the best aspect of this U.S. side. I think the, the midfield coming to life, it's getting praise across the world. The English pundits are talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. I think that Capco is a really quality player. And you see in the diversity of the goals that he can harm you in many many different ways it's hard to believe he's still so young right and that he's breaking out in this world cup i think he's 23 something along those lines if i remember off the top of my head and he's youthful and he's exciting to watch and i think there's a big move with his name coming up on it soon it's just gonna be so interesting to see what the us does defensively has zimmerman now been dropped is he no longer going to be relevant defensively other than off of the bench is these adjustments what did you see from this us defensive line in terms of where you would go against a strong netherlands side i think it's a different game i think you can expect the dutch to have more of the ball if not the the majority of the possession that's what they do um so i think you're you're if and and we didn't really hear from Greg Berhalter in terms of why. Obviously, mm-hmm. after this game, people were getting into a whole different set of questions. But you didn't really get the explanation of why Cameron Carter-Vickers instead of Walker Zimmerman. I think Stuart Holden kind of alluded to it from a conversation with Berhalter about you're going to be on the ball more. You want somebody who's a little bit more sure of a passer. You want somebody who can maybe split the lines with the passing, something that, that CCV has to do with Celtic in the Scottish Premiership, where teams are going to sit back and and bunker in like they expected Iran to do. The Dutch aren't going to do that. The Dutch are going to have the ball. So you're you're kind of going back to maybe the England game in terms of what you're asking your defenders to do. And I don't know. Maybe we see Zimmerman back. Maybe we see Cameron Carter-Vickers. I I think both have been good in the tournament, and both have not been 100% perfect. But pretty good because that defense along with Tim Ream along with Matt Turner and the fullbacks they've only conceded one goal and it wasn't from the run of play it's no. it's very impressive what this team has done defensively we'll get into the midfield in a second but that defensive side is is so critical no it 100% is and they look really good communication wise i was nervous having a goalkeeper in i know i've highlighted a lot about the fact that Matt Turner behind hasn't had much time to build chemistry in terms of minutes on the pitch with his move to the Premier League. And yes, he knows this back line fairly well in terms of, you know, playing and being in American camps and qualifying and things like that. But it's as hard as a goalkeeper to come in and try and regain your confidence in communicating with your back line and coming for crosses and trying to remember the different attributes of your different players. And I think he's done a really good job of leading out the back and looking convincing. I think there was only one miscommunication I remember with Robinson heading one out for a corner where he could have probably left it but other than that it's looked really solid back there cohesive back there and with every clean sheet with every game you don't concede you grow in confidence as a unit but again that's why I was so surprised because as a keeper I would never want my back line changed 
in front of me. I wanted the same players because I wanted the attributes. I wanted to grow with knowing, okay, this, this player is going to be able to come for these long balls. This player is going to do this. This player is going to do that. And it just felt an odd move, but it paid off. So what do I know? Hey, we're going to talk about it throughout the, the week, what to look for in the U.S.-Netherlands game. I'm going to borrow a uh, catchphrase from Doc Sock, John Chuckery, who was on before us tonight. Um, we're going to give you some water cooler talking points, not six to eight months in advance like Chuckery does, a uh, couple days in advance before the U.S.-Netherlands game. Here's yours for tonight. The U.S. has to cut that supply line to Frankie de Jong. When you look at the Dutch and you look at how they play, it's possession-based, and they're going to work the ball out of the back. They don't want to play long out of the back. They want to connect from the back line to the midfield. Frankie de Jong is who they want to find to do that. You look at the average number of passes per game. It's defender, 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 Frankie de Jong. Like it's, he's the key. 68 passes per game. He leads in passes. He leads in getting the team forward. He's the one who makes it organized. And when teams build up out of the back, the cleaner you have the buildup play, the better you can get into the attacking half. The Dutch team under Louis van Hall, it's, it's, it's total soccer. It's organized. It's positional play. It's a little rigid. So they have things that they want to do consistently. If you can take them away from that and make them try to play out of the back in a different way, it can get them a little discombobulated. And you need to look for that. He's going to drift left. He's going to try to get into the pocket when Serginho Dest goes forward. That's when he, when Frankie De Jong gets into a dangerous spot in the attack. I think the matchup to watch Frankie De Jong versus Yunus Musa. Yunus Musa drifts to the right. Frankie De Jong drifts to the left. They're going to be in the same pockets. Musa has to put in the defensive shift that he did today and really deny Frankie De Jong getting those 68 passes per game. It's going to have to be really important in terms of recovery right now for the U.S. You mentioned Musa and the fact that he's absolutely shattered. He's exhausted. I think a lot of the legwork from this U.S. game in this one was a exhausting matchup. I think that's the advantage that England has in a cruising match where they were able to rotate, where they were able to change things up. So I think it was a tough one in terms of making sure they're ready to go because I think it's going to be a, a far larger challenge for the U.S. and they're going to need to be on their A game. So let's get big picture in our next segment. What does this win mean for this team, for soccer in the U.S., for the program, for the game as a whole? We're going to get into that in three minutes on Atlanta Soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 Game and the Odyssey app. Reflecting on the U.S. win today over Iran going into the round of 16 against the Netherlands on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Jess, I'm having flashbacks to 2010 uh, because 2010, you had to get a result in the last game to get through. It was a huge moment. It was obviously a a goal from Landon Donovan that is maybe the most played goal in U.S. soccer history. It's up there if it's not. Today's goal, a different kind of huge moment, but I think over time it'll hold up as one of the biggest goals in U.S. soccer history. And it gets you a weekend knockout game at a World Cup. And I think this one's even better because it is in a weird time of year. We're still getting used to a World Cup being November, December. But it's on a Saturday where you have conference championship games in college football. A lot of excitement with that. But the game's at 10 a.m. So for all of those sports fans out there, There is nothing to go up against this game. I think you're going to get the general sports crowd. I think you're obviously going to get our people, the soccer people, all going nuts for this. And it could be, I think, even bigger than the U.S.-England game in terms of ratings, in terms of interest, in terms of hype. Yeah, I think it falls at the perfect perfect time in terms of being on a weekend. We talked about Black Friday being awesome, but at the same time, it's a holiday, right? A lot of people were traveling, a lot of people with their family, a lot of people were doing other things, events already planned. People are clearing their plans right now for the weekend because they don't want to miss this. I think that I was so surprised when I was driving to the gym today. In in Noonan, Georgia, you're not usually seeing people wearing U.S. men's national team shirts, let alone hanging American flags out their window honking because they're so excited about the fact that the U.S. has gone through. And I think we're starting to attach ourselves to these casual fans that are getting really invested in this. It's amazing how many people can now name players on the U.S. men's national team, how many people you can just walk up to. And if you ask them, hey, what big sports moment happened today? A lot of them will be able to tell you that it was Christian Pulisic that scored a goal. Household names in every house, not just soccer houses, not just houses where they have a kid that plays, you know, rec league. These are regular houses that maybe have never had soccer involved, now have soccer involved because of the growth. And I'm excited to see the numbers, quite frankly, of this Saturday game because I think it's going to be absolutely wild. And it's another advantage for the US in a lot of ways because they know how supported they are back home. I think that's an added advantage. They know that they've got a nation that's backing them, that's rooting them, that's positively thinking about them compared to a lot of teams in this World Cup that maybe have the opposite sort of pressure, where it's that 
if they don't pick up a result, they're going to be literally an embarrassment to the nation. I think right now the overwhelming sense in the U.S. is pride. The players know that there's pride for them, and that's only going to make them want to perform better on the field. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you mentioned like knowing and having that feel of what's going on back at home. That was something that Carlos Bocanegra told us before the tournament in 2010. You know, they didn't have that. They were isolated. And, you know, the Internet in 2010 wasn't what it is today. And in South Africa, where they were, it wasn't really all that functional. So like that Landon Donovan moment, they didn't see the, the clip of fans reacting to it until days later. This group now, I mean, you're seeing the video of them arriving back at the hotel going nuts. We're seeing it here. They're seeing people's reactions to the goal today. Immediately, this stuff is just its so different. And I'm with you. I think the support level is huge. I, I don't feel like, again, there is the social media voice, which I don't think reflects the entire fan base. And I don't think it reflects the entire group of people who are invested emotionally in this team, because there's a large number of people who have jumped on the bandwagon. Come on aboard. Let's go. It, it, there's no reason to not jump on the bandwagon about this team. And one of the big reasons why is the midfield. You know, this is the best midfield the, the U.S. has ever had. Um, it's the most complete midfield the U.S. has ever had. The MMA midfield, Adams, McKinney, Musa. McKinney might only be able to give you 60 minutes a game in this tournament. Take every 60 minutes he, he can give you because he was amazing with his passing today, his range of passing. Adams, in my mind, best 11 in the tournament right now. Mm -hmm. He's been that good. It's unbelievable. And Musa is growing more confident every game, getting on the dribble, breaking players down, but doing the defensive side as well. They've controlled games from an offensive perspective. They've controlled games from a defensive perspective. And they were a huge part of something today, back-to-back -to -back clean sheets at a World Cup. It's hard to do in general. It's hard to do for mm -hmm. any team. The U.S. hadn't done it since 1930, the first World Cup, back-to-back -back clean sheets. This group did it. Tyler Adams, I mean, he led the team in touches. He won possession more than anybody on the, on the pitch. He lost possession fewer times than anyone to play 90 minutes other than Tim Ream. And that's been the knock on Tyler Adams. It's been his work on the ball. He's been brilliant in this tournament. He is he – is, the number six in the tournament for me. I don't think anyone would disagree with you. He's a player that's been mentioned by every opposition coach at how amazing he's been, how mature he is as a player, how dedicated he is, the work rate. I think what's so exciting about this midfield, though, is about their double threat. A lot of the times you don't have three players that offer you defensively and offensively. All three of that midfield can work on both sides of the ball. I love the work rate. I love the determination. I love the fact that they do give away the ball. The first thing they're doing is busting back to get into a recovery position, to get back. And they make smart decisions. A couple of really smart professional fouls, I remember, in terms of stopping and breaking down the transition. It's good game management. It's good understanding. High soccer IQ. And I think the most exciting thing for the US is it's still a very young, young midfield. And if this is where we're at with Tyler Adams being 23, where are you next year in four years' time when he's truly entering his prime and understanding what he can do? Leeds United are probably panicking a little bit. I'll be completely honest with you because 
he is showing himself at the next, next level. And that's no disrespect to Leeds, but that could be a, a bigger move on the horizon. He's having that Calvin Phillips kind of run right now that, that Calvin Phillips had for England and got the move from Leeds to City. Maybe wasn't the best move considering <laughs> the, the number of bodies in front of him there. But I, I love that he got that opportunity. Tyler Adams is, is going to get that kind of opportunity. Weston McKinney is being linked with a move back to the Bundesliga, but to Borussia Dortmund. Um, Yunus Musa has to be attracting interest. He came up through Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal have got to be kicking themselves right mm -hmm. now, seeing what Yunus Musa is doing. I think for the U.S., you know, when you, you're looking at the Netherlands, you know exactly what to expect. You know how they're going to play. They're not a team that really sacrifices against their style. They're, they're going to stay true to their identity. And you can prepare for that. Um, I honestly think this U.S. team, and we saw it against England, and that's going to be, out of the three games they've played so far, the England game is going to be the, the closest in terms of a blueprint mm -hmm. to how things will play out. I think the Dutch handle possession differently than the English, but they're going to want the ball, whereas Wales and Iran did not really want the ball. So you're going to play off the ball more. In my opinion, that actually suits this team really, really well especially somebody like Brendan Aronson, especially Tim Weah, who for all the Gio Reyna talk, I know, you know, you want your controversy, you want your soap opera, and there's some soap opera conversations around this that have really been over the top, in my opinion. Tim Weah has been the better option because that was the choice. I think a lot of people are putting, trying to put Gio Reyna in different positions that he doesn't play. The right wing is really the, the choice because Christian Pulisic was going to play in this front line and now he's going to play on the left. You're going to play a number nine. Greg Berhalter's made that clear. You weren't going to go false nine. You weren't going to move Tim Weah into the nine. So it was Tim Weah or Gio Reyna. And Tim Weah has given you everything you could ask for up front with his speed, with his dribbling, with his ability to flip the field. But also in a game like today where, you know, he didn't see the ball a ton. He didn't have a ton of opportunities. He worked his tail off in this game defensively. Him and Josh Sargent. You know, mm -hmm. like that was the, the right call to start him. Those guys worked so hard. And it's not to say that Reyna wouldn't, but Reyna on the ball is great. But the off-the-ball side of it, in a tournament like this where you're going to have a game where you might not have the ball a ton, I think Tim Weah and the decision to start him has been the right one. No, I thought he was brilliant. I, I had a couple of questions about decision-making. Maybe his finishing could have been a bit mm -hmm. cleaner. But other than that, the work rate is there. I really liked Sargent. I thought his work rate was incredible. I thought his fighting and closing down every ball and just making himself a nuisance and hassling and preventing that quick transition. One of the big talking points of Iran was the fact we thought they'd be able to move the ball up the pitch really quickly and create attacking options. Well, because Sargent was up there, breaking off that initial pass they weren't able to do it in the same effective way Ugh, the Netherlands though, is a tough one right because there's a lot of Dutch people that aren't happy with this style of play at all they're disappointed they don't think it's really the way the Dutch should be playing right now maybe it's a little bit outdated maybe it's a little bit ineffective they're also an older team that looks a little slow out there I think the energy of the U.S. could really really be a, a thing of nightmares 
for this Dutch side. I think they would have preferred to play against an Iran than the US when they look at the like-for-like -like matches on the pitch. I think that the some of them line up and some of the matchups actually favor the US in this one. Yeah, I actually I agree with you. Um, the, the Dutch are a very interesting soccer nation. You know, we talk about identity of teams and style a lot. And I think it's something that honestly in the U.S. we should talk about more because we get into individuals a lot. We get into did they score? Did they have an assist? We don't get into the, the philosophy side, the, the identity side of how teams play which drives everything else. The Dutch are, are really driven by their identity. Now there's different flavors of the identity and Louis van Hall is not everybody's cup of tea when it comes to the way he interprets the Dutch mm -hmm. style. It's more rigid, but it, the, the hallmarks of it in terms of opening the field up, creating space, exploiting space, all those things are there. He just goes about it a different way where somebody like Johan Cruyff, it's more wide open to uh -huh. try to get to the same place. A lot of people love the artistry and the, the, the idealism of being able to play that way. Van Hall is more functional and he's had to adapt with this team too. I mean, they don't really have everything that he would want. So they're playing more in a three, five, two. That's not traditional for the Dutch. They, they're playing a goalkeeper who's six foot eight, who maybe isn't as good with his feet. It isn't as good in those those possession situations. So he's had to adapt. They're a dangerous team. But the U.S. and the, the Netherlands is going to be a fascinating matchup on Saturday. And we're going to talk about it all week as we build up to it. But we do have games tomorrow to talk about. So count your juice boxes. We'll get you ready for tomorrow's action in five minutes on Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Now we're back with more of our look at all of today's matches on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Let's go! On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back. Final segment of Atlanta Soccer Tonight. We figure since the, the referees in the World Cup are taking so much stoppage time and adding it on, nine minutes today felt like an eternity, by the way, that we're going to take a little bit of stoppage time today and go just a little bit longer to set the table for tomorrow's action. Group C and Group D finales tomorrow. Group D, that's the early games, 10 a.m. And Jess, France, one of three teams that is perfect so far. They play Tunisia. A tricky game, and, and you have this a little tricky culturally as well. I think Tunisia will be up for this. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Tunisia is so hard to break down, right? We've seen them put their bodies on the line, be very organized, be very compact, be very disciplined. And France may struggle to break that down. They may struggle to deal with the relentlessness in terms of determination on a very motivated side against them. This will be a great test to see whether France can really be as consistent as they've looked across the first two games. We knew that they were going to face some adversity. We knew that they might struggle with the loss of personnel, but so far they've impressed us. Let's be completely honest. It's hard not to be impressed by the way they've played, but will Tunisia be able to prevent Mbappe getting in front, creating an opportunity, finding a moment of magic? I think that's difficult. Mbappe is kind of like the Messi of Argentina, right? You can work hard. You can be disciplined. You can try and try with all your might to defend for a nil-nil draw. And Mbappe's going to find a way to create one good-looking opportunity out of nothing. 
He's been brilliant in this tournament. And France is through. They should win the group if they get anything out of the game with Tunisia, a draw or a win. They win the group. It's kind of cut and dried beyond that. At least Australia feels like it is. They control their own destiny. If they get a draw, Tunisia would have to beat France, and they would flip the goal differential if they beat France. That's not easy to do. If Australia wins, they're into the next round. Denmark has to win, and then if Tunisia wins, then it becomes a goal differential battle between them. So a little complicated in how things play out, but I'm not expecting Tunisia to beat France, obviously. Uh, the bookmakers do not either. Tunisia is a plus 750 underdog in this game with France. Mm -hmm. uh, the French are minus 260. The draw is 360. That would feel exactly right. Now, the other game is really interesting. Again, Denmark wins, and France does what they should do. Denmark goes through. Denmark is an overwhelming favorite against Australia. They're a minus 200. Australia is a plus 550, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. The draw is 320. That would be enough for Australia as well. Graham Arnold, the manager of Australia, said it's no different to any other game. He said, I've never coached to draw in my life, so we're not going to do that. Um, he said, again, it's about going out and being on the front foot like we were for 30 minutes against France. And I'd agree with that sentiment. I thought mm -hmm. the first 30, they were really good against France. He felt like they were on the front foot for 60 against Tunisia. Okay, I can buy that. I can work with that. He wants 90% or 100% against Denmark. He wants to remove the sloppy mistakes. Do you think the Socceroos can handle their business and get to the next round? Uh, before we'd seen Denmark play? I would say absolutely not. I thought Denmark was going to be a really good team coming I into this too. one. They've been the biggest disappointment for me out of everybody, honestly, because of how much we had spoken about the talent, mm. how much we'd spoken about um, that they were going to be really a, a team to watch. Maybe a little harsh. I saw your facial expression. Belgium. Belgium. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but they're in that same boat, right, in terms of yeah. underwhelming, in yeah. terms of disappointing, in terms of being a favorite to get out of the group and just not looking like it. I get where the coach is coming from, right? You never want to go into something looking for a draw, but at the same time, my fear for Australia is if they go out really trying to go for a win, they might get caught in transition by the Danish and they have the quality. They have some very good players that just haven't been able to display what they can do yet. So uh, I think the Socceroos might be in for a rude awakening and maybe they should adjust slightly in order to try and... You know, it, it, there's no shame in, particularly if they keep it nil-nil for a, a, a good hour, there's no shame in making adjustments throughout the rest of the game to really try and shut up shop. Yeah, and I think they'll do that. I, I think you have to come out and say this off the jump, and I don't <laughs> think the, the mentality will be to, to go in for a draw. But there comes a point in, in every game, just like we talked about with the U.S., just like the moves that Greg Berhalter made, you kind of have that feel of yeah, we're done. Like we, we don't have anything left in the attacking mm -hmm. side of this. We we've got to just protect what we have. You have to know when that time comes. And with five subs, if you manage it correctly and you get lucky without injuries, you can handle it. You can do it. You can make those subs in the 75th. You can shut up shop. Maybe if you have to go a little bit earlier, that's fine. I think Australia is a pretty safe team in general. Um, the player I'm watching when it comes to the soccer ruse is Aaron Moy, the holding midfielder, because he's going to be the one who really has to keep Christian Eriksen mm -hmm. in check. 
And I feel like this is a game for Erickson to put the Superman cape on. I think Denmark has been maybe better than their results in the tournament. Um, the France game, we always knew would be tough, even though De the Danes have done well against France as of late. Uh, and they were toe-to-toe -to -toe with them for a long portion of that. They're going to have to show their quality here. I think they ultimately do. I think Denmark wins and knocks Australia out, and I think they go through as the second-place team in the group. But I don't think it's going to be easy, and it really comes down to Ericsson and Aaron Moy. That battle could tilt the game. No, I agree, and I think Ericsson is overdue a performance of the ages. He's overdue a performance like how he's been with Manchester United. He's been really able to create opportunities for Manchester United and lead them and put on that Superman cape. Like you say, uh, I think that Denmark's going to come into this one knowing what they need as well. And I think sometimes that works in your favor. We saw it with the US, right? They knew that it was a win and in. They knew they were controlling that. They knew they needed three points. I think sometimes when you have in the back of your mind that a draw would be enough, even if you have a coach that is saying, oh, we're not going to, it can start to play tricks on you and maybe not allow you to perform in the way that you would if you thought you had just to win. So far, the teams that go in and had to win, 2-0. and And they, they won and they got through. Group C, it's a mess. It is, <laughs> it is complicated. It's a mess. It's not cut and dried. Everybody's got a shot. Even Mexico in fourth place with one point. They play Saudi Arabia. Poland and Argentina. These games are at two o'clock tomorrow and you're going to want two screens for this experience because everybody is alive. We're going to talk a little bit about both games here in just a second, but your, your odds from FanDuel Sportsbook, Saudi Arabia plus 370. They're the underdog against Mexico. Maybe a little surprising at the margin. The draw is 310. That might be enough for Saudi Arabia to get through. Mexico is a favorite at minus 150. Argentina is a bigger favorite against Poland. Not a surprise. Minus 220. Draw plus 320. That might be enough for both of them to get through. Poland is a plus 700 underdog to beat Argentina. I think everything is possible in this group, but the one team who has to win and then get help is Mexico. We had a chance to talk to uh, one of your Charlotte friends about Mexico. We did. Antonio Ramos. Oh, I wanted to let you set Antonio oh, up. Oh, I'm getting the lead. I'm not used to this, Jason. I had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, Antonio, the uh, color commentator for Charlotte FC, who was very passionate and very, very uh, outspoken about his thoughts on the lineup and what Mexico should be doing, right? Let's hear it. Yeah, just uh, change the, the, the mentality um, that, that you showed against Argentina. Uh, of course, the 4-3-3 three, three is going to come back. Um, the problem is that you don't have this true nine, this true striker that has scoring ability right now, and they're not in good shape. As, as Jason said, Raúl Raúl Jiménez is just far away from his his best days. Um, Henry Martín, Rogelio Funes Mori, they they're just Liga MX strikers at, at that level. Um, I hope that they could. You know, just shake a little bit the squad and use Alexis Vega or Irving Lozano as a false nine and uh, use Orbelin Pineda that's playing in, in Greece, that it, he can be a decent attacking midfielder. Uh, just leave Edson Alvarez and, 
And Luis Chavez, who is having a, a very good World Cup, I think yes. Luis Chavez is one of the bright spots in this Mexican national team. He's so dynamic. He has a magical left foot. Uh, he has a very high work rates. But uh, you you need to create more chances. It doesn't matter if you play with Raúl Jiménez or, or Rogelio Funes Mori, but you need to create more chances. I think Orbelín Pineda needs to start um, and just hope Alexis Vega and Irving Lozano have had one of their best days so far. But uh, I'll, I'll personally use like a 4-2-2-2 lineup, just leave Edson Alvarez and Luis Chavez in the midfield and get those four guys up front and, and do their thing. But I think he's, of course, going to stick with a 4-3-3, maybe with Orbelín Pineda as a, a attacking midfielder behind the, the number nine. You can hear our whole conversation with Antonio on the Off the Woodwork podcast uh, as soon as you subscribe and get that dropped into your inbox in your podcast folder. Um, got into everything with Mexico, and it's it's a dire situation mm-hmm. for Eltry right now. Uh, you talk about lack of support back home. Um, came out today from Today NA that Tata Martino will not continue with the Mexican national team. You could file that under duh because we knew that wasn't going to happen unless he went to the World Cup and won it. Um, it hasn't been a good World Cup for Mexico. It's, there, there's been some bad luck. The Raul Jimenez injury mm-hmm. was horrible luck, and then he has a groin injury coming into the tournament. Tata bet on Jimenez being able to give him something, and the fact that he didn't start against Argentina, I think, showed that that bet did not come good. I don't know what they're going to start in this game. Um, I like Antonio's option for a lineup here because they, they've got to get forward. They've got to score goals. They're in a must-win situation, but it's not as simple as that. Must win and flip the goal differential and get help elsewhere. A Poland win and a Mexico win is enough. That gets them through. No worry about goal margins, anything like that. Argentina, Poland draw, Mexico's got to win pretty big. And I don't think it's easy for Mexico to beat Saudi Arabia, period, let alone by three or four goals. No, we know that Saudi Arabia is a very difficult side to break down. We saw it against Argentina. Against Poland, it took a really poor individual error in terms of giving them the cushion goal. And I think that They're going to come to play. They know that this could be their last game. They want to make sure that they show the Middle East what they can do. And I think they've been a smart side with some firepower. They can score goals. And let's be honest, if you're a Mexican fan, I think the biggest concern is where are these goals coming from? You gambled with your personnel. You don't seem to have many threats when it comes to creating opportunities or being able to finish them. There's no one that's really able right now to show us that they're able to create an opportunity of their own either. So when you're looking at needing to control your own destiny and then get four goals, it's looking like a, a dire situation bar Saudi Arabia coming out and collapsing, quite frankly, in a way that they haven't really shown that they would have a tendency to do. I think they've been really well-disciplined so far in the two games we've seen from the Saudis. We've got to try to get into the head of, of Lionel Scaloni here for a second, of Argentina, because they are not in an automatic position right now. They're in second. If they win, they they will go through. They might not win the group if Saudi Arabia wins and the goal differential changes. But Argentina is in a spot where they can control their own destiny. But you look at Group D, and remember that Group D games are, are going to be done earlier. 
if you come in second in the group and and there could be a spot where Argentina is comfortable, let's say Poland and Argentina, Poland and Argentina is a draw and you're in the 75th minute and you're looking at Mexico winning by one over Saudi Arabia or that game being a draw and, and you're in the second spot and you're comfortable. You then, if you come in second in the group, you're playing the winners of Group D. That is likely going to be France. Things could get weird tomorrow afternoon if that is the case. Let's let's play it out. It's 1-1, 75th minute. The other game is favorable for you, but you're tied with Poland. They're going to win the group. They're going to play either Australia or Denmark. And Argentina, if it's 1-1 and they finish behind Poland, they're going to play France in the round of 16. You might be in a position, even with the other game, to where you are, if you lose against Poland, you're out. You might be in a position where you risk to try to jump Poland and beat them, not settle for just getting to the round of 16 and try to avoid France. It could get really weird tomorrow afternoon. I think you always want to top your group, particularly when you look at the difference between the two teams that you're going to face, the disparity and that's not to be disrespectful to Australia or Denmark, the Denmark in terms of what we've seen in the group stage and the Australia in terms of being a smaller soccer nation. It's a huge difference between playing France versus one of those two countries. I think you go all out because you want to avoid playing France for as long as possible. And sometimes we get into the mindset of these coaches when we look at which side of the bracket you want to get on. And a lot of the times you can understand the want to get away from who has been the most informed side during the tournament. I think you do. But if you're late in the game and you're going through and you know that if you give up a goal, you're going out, that's a, that's a tightrope. Yeah. And, I think it depends and, on how the game's going, right? right. If, if, if Poland hasn't really shown any sort of threat and you're feeling more comfortable, but then again, we know how quickly things can change, how you get the ball to the boots of, Lewandowski and who knows he could be making you pay for that decision so ah, it's a tough one isn't it because also you want to build momentum we're going to break all of that down tomorrow after Hawks basketball probably roughly around 10 30 we'll be on 92.9 the game we'll be on the Odyssey app like I've said tonight make sure you subscribe to the off the woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app or your favorite podcatcher you'll hear all of the Brad Gazan interview you'll hear all of the Antonio Ramos interview you can listen to the show on demand you'll get all of it. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday night with us. Go, go USA and adios, everybody. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.